Welcome to Frankly Judaic, a podcast that explores cutting-edge Judaic studies research conducted at the University of Michigan. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. Maya Barzilai's interest in German-Hebrew translation was sparked on her very first day as a student at Hebrew University in Jerusalem, but not in a classroom. A friend gave me a book of translations of, from German into Hebrew of the poetry of Paul Tillan, um, the famous post-Holocaust poet, and I read those translations in Hebrew, and I thought these were some of the most beautiful poems I had ever read. Berzelai is an associate professor of Hebrew literature and Jewish culture at the University of Michigan. Her father was born in France to German-Jewish parents, and she still has relatives who live there. So she'd always felt a connection to the German language. But she grew up in Israel, speaking only Hebrew and English. When she first became interested in learning German, it was mostly for practical reasons. She wanted a way to communicate with her relatives. But then, of course, the, the relationship to my love of Paul Celan and his poetry brought me also to think, wait a second, this is not just a language of conversation. This is a language of aesthetics, of poetics, of culture. Barzilai decided to immerse herself in the German language. When she arrived at Berkeley for her PhD studies, the first thing she did was sign up for German classes. Her interest in German language and culture led her to spend several years living in Germany and studying German literature. Eventually, she became especially interested in German-Hebrew translations of literary works from the early 20th century, and she's currently working on a book on the topic. But before we get to that, let's take a step back in time to the late 18th and early 19th century. Jews living in both Germany and other areas in Europe really saw German as a language of universal knowledge, of kind of a language that Jews could share across different regions of Europe, a language of education, also a language of spirituality. Many Jews at the time saw German-Hebrew translation as a way of modernizing Jewish culture and making Jews equal citizens, Barzilai says. But in the early 20th century, the two languages found themselves at a crossroads. Rather than the languages complementing each other or serving joint purposes, one language was you could say, on the decline because the defeat of Germany in World War I, the collapse of the empire, the changes, the political changes in Germany, all led to a certain decline in the status, I guess, of Germany as this language of universal enlightenment. You know, the Zionist movement at the same time was pushing not only to establish Jewish nationalism and think of it as a territorial and political um, entity, but also to invest in, in the language, in Hebrew. And, and that led to the, the need to produce also a cultural apparatus. Translations from German into Hebrew became dominant at this point. The translators of these works had a particular mission. They thought of translation as a real way of advancing Hebrew with the thought that there are going to be people who read these works, not just in the original, but predominantly in Hebrew, whereas previously there was the assumption that Hebrew would be re read alongside German. The idea was that a new generation of Hebrew speakers would now be able to read works in the Hebrew language, and that was the most important thing for them, right, that the, to promote the Hebrew language, to advance it. The 
This goal was very much on the minds of the translators in the Jaffa Writers' Collective known as Yefet. In 1911, Yefet published the first volume of Hebrew translations of well-known literary works in Russian, German, and English. Among the contributors was Meir Vilkansky, a recent immigrant to Palestine who translated Goethe's The Sufferings of Young Werther into Hebrew for the first time. Goethe was an admired German writer among Jews, and this particular work was hugely popular in Europe. So you might think Vilkansky's Hebrew translation was celebrated. Instead, it was pilloried. One particularly vocal critic was the influential writer Yosef Chaim Brenner, also a recent immigrant to Palestine and a contributor to the Yefet volume. He says, I cannot believe that Meir Vilkansky loved the book that he translated, and therefore it's also not surprising that he translated it as though the publisher forced him to do so. Brenner's accusation raised new questions for Barzillai. First of all, how can he not believe that he loved the work? You know, where does he have proof? And he actually claims elsewhere that he has proof that other translators did love the texts they were translating. But second of all, what is love as a criteria, criterion for uh, translation? What is What does love have to do with the act of translation? Barzillai discovered in her research that Brenner was not the only one connecting translation and love. There are other people talking about the importance of love for translation, that if you do not love a work deeply, then you do not have the spiritual. That's how they talked about the spiritual connection to the original. You have to be able to almost live it and breathe it and be the work. And and that cannot happen without that kind of deep loving connection. As for Brenner's charge that Vilkansky's translation was bad, Barzillai disagrees. It's actually a very fluent, extremely engaging, in my view, translation, you know, within the parameters of the language of the time period. I think behind the accusation of not loving this work enough was Brenner's own lack of love for this work specifically. It's not hard to see why Brenner might have disliked Goethe's work, Barzillai says. The Sufferings of Young Werther is about a young man obsessing over his unrequited love for a woman and is infused with emotion. I, I counted how many times the term tears appear in the novel. <laughs> there, are multi, there are at least 50 or more references to crying, just scenes of crying, like this endless waves of tears, of emotional outpouring. The tortured character of Werther inspired 18th century readers, Barzillai says, but to a Zionist immigrant to Palestine like Brenner, he probably seemed irrelevant or worse. He says, whereas in those days, meaning in the late 18th century, in order for a person to commit suicide, they needed to endure love conflicts and sufferings. In our days, the noose might hover over the neck even without such unrequited loves. Meaning we have better reasons to commit suicide than they did. You know, we have real hardship here. Like we are really going through something difficult, meaning becoming being a, a small Jewish minority, trying to uh, learn how to be a pioneer and to till the land. 
trying to build a new society in this strange place. Barzilai also disagrees with Brenner's charge that Volkonsky didn't love Goethe's work. She thinks we can see his love in his use of biblical references, which invoke the Zionist idea of love of the land. Volkonsky's translation also draws on a lot of these biblical allusions and portrays basically the landscape as a garden of Eden. He keeps using the word Eden. Even in places where Goethe doesn't have paradise, the Hebrew Eden, or even Eden Yah, which means the paradise of God. So that is actually how Ben-Gurion referred to Palestine as a paradise. So this kind of imagination of the land as a potential site of investment of passion, of the terms that were used in the Bible for the passion towards the woman, are now reflected onto the land. To Barzillai and other scholars, critiques like Brenner's had political underpinnings. It allowed some policing to happen, like if a writer didn't produce a translation that an important critic like Brenner liked, then Brenner could say he didn't love that work and his translation is forced. So there was not just a free movement of the soul. The souls were supposed to move in a certain way and in a certain direction. And it was supposed to align with certain perceptions of what literature should be for the time period. What are the important things that literature should convey? And it definitely shouldn't convey the, the torture or torment of a young person who's fallen in love and cannot fulfill his love because that is just trivial nonsense. That's one of the arguments Barzilai makes in her work, that translation is about much more than expressing the meanings of words in a different language. Decisions about which text should be translated and how have always been fraught. And when it comes to translations from German to Hebrew in the early 20th century, it's impossible to separate the works from the complicated history of Zionism. Barzilai hopes her work makes us reconsider that history. I think a lot of times Zionist history is told as a linear or one-directional story, and translation will always complicate that. Translation is a two-directional story. Even if you translate into Hebrew, you're still bringing in another language and another culture in some way into Zionist culture. And as I said earlier, there were Zionist translations away from Hebrew, from Hebrew into German. So I'm hoping that my study will complicate the story of the rise of Hebrew as an important language for for Zionism, because it also tells of the ambivalence that is entailed in translation meaning not every translation was accepted, not every translation was seen as an appropriately Zionist translation. For early 20th century translators in Palestine, translation was an essential part of the Zionist mission to build the Jewish homeland. No less spiritual and deep and meaningful for the Zionist project as going out and planting an orchard. And actually, the the metaphor of the orchard was used for translation, meaning if we translate, it's as if we are planting an orchard of very select trees because we can't translate the whole orchard and it's not going to be a mass production orchard that will export to the whole world. It's going to be a tiny orchard of translations, but each one is going to be so important and so meaningful. You've been listening to Frankly Judaic, a production of the Gene and Samuel Frankel Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. The executive producer is Jeffrey Weidling. 
Jen Richler is the lead producer. You can find and subscribe to Frankly Judaic anywhere you get podcasts. And if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening.